Alpha Omega London, makers of shoes, creator of waves in the fashion industry, introduces the Fashion Vanguards podcast. Our aim is simple, to open minds, listen to opinions, share knowledge, and start conversations. Our podcast series unravels fashion's many guises and tackles head-on the current issues that matter, getting honest views from the mouths that matter. We at Fashion Vanguards believe it is time to stop talking and make change. The labeling of mental disorders or mental illnesses carries social stigma and negative connotations which prevent us from tackling the issue. In this series, we address the growing concerns of more and more people who are suffering or have recovered from mental ill health within the fashion industry and the creative sector as a whole. Thanks for tuning in. This episode, hosted by the lovely Tamara, serves up a more intimate and candid perspective on the topic. Stay tuned for more edifying discussion and to learn from her eclectic mix of panel speakers. Joining the panel, we have myself, your host, Tamira. I'm a digital content assistant for Primark, a theatre reviewer and a youth mentor. Mira, the founder of Hidden Voices and a journalist for PrivSec. I'm Sinead and I am the anti-coach. I'm Kim Noble. I'm an artist, mother, author, and I happen to have DID. And I'm Bobby, Bulgarian designer, dressmaker, and I'm a founder of Common Ground. Thank you for joining us for the Fashion Vanguard's Mental Health Series. In our previous episode, Ashwini and her panel touched upon the stigma associated with mental ill health, which further impacted the plight of the torture genius. As a follow-on, we'll delve deeper into the consequences of social stigma and labelling and discuss if the segues into the issue of self-medication through the abuse of drugs and alcohol. So what are the social stigmas associated with being publicly or openly mentally ill? And could this fear lead to the suppression of emotions and the abuse of drugs or alcohol? So, um, I'm going to go. I think in terms of social stigma, I think from what I've, what, not my like personal experience, but what I've witnessed mm-hmm. is that someone that is labelled as having a mental illness or mental disorder, there's a stigma of them being unstable, them being quote-unquote crazy, um, weird, and um, that they're, you know, they're not good at life, they don't have a good job they you know they can't focus on stuff and that's really bad and I think because of that people are ashamed or not necessarily ashamed or too scared to tell people that they are suffering this um they have this disorder and maybe the only way that they can sort of release how they feel is through alcohol and drugs which in turn not often but you know some people do get addicted to it and it's not just alcohol and drugs you know there's other stuff like sex and other people there's other methods people get addicted to but, you know, there is that possibility that social t- stigma does, there's negative assumptions and stereotypes does push people to um, self-medicate. I think, yeah, I think treatment is so hard to come by, like therapy and counselling. The queues are so long, you know, they're six months waiting, year waiting. Um, and I think, you know, while you're waiting, you know, people can't cope. And what happens in the meantime? Start taking you know, the odd drink at night and it just gets, you know, uh, escalates. And I think people don't uh, necessarily realise that they're they're escalating it. Okay, let's have a glass of wine tonight. 
will be fine. Okay, tomorrow, maybe have a bit earlier. And then it gets to the point they're waking mm. up and having alcohol or, they, mm. you know, drugs or it starts with weed. And people say, you know, that's the first drug, but, you know, okay, it's weed. They've taken weed. And they thought, you know what, let's try coke or something and then they end up taking drugs and they end up taking meth or heroin you know it, it does escape but they for them i don't think they see it they think of let's try a different method that's going to help them feel better mm. and there is obviously due to the lack of you know funding in the nhs you know people can't afford to go privately and there are cues you know you said yourself mm. six months to get you know what counseling initial assessment an initial it? assessment and people are going to have to people will find other methods to help them because when it's not provided, that's what you do. Yeah, coping me- mechanism. And then I personally believe that a lot of mental illness have to do with thought process, which means it's not a lot of fun in your head. Like the, the thoughts that you have to deal, and especially when it comes to depression, there is um, a lot, I would say, you literally self-harm yourself through the thoughts that you allow and entertain. And I believe that there are many people that are suffering from mental illness that cannot cope the conversations that are going in their own head as to what a failure they are, as to how rejected they are, as to how unlike they are. That's why they isolate themselves. And I believe that both drugs, alcohol, it's actually a coping mechanism because for you to reach out to something like this, you really need either a relief or to shut down whatever is going on. I know someone who not necessarily took alcohol and drug but started self-harming as a way to self-medicate her and I think from what I believe she said it was a while back, it was just, I don't want to hear the voices. So for me, focusing on the pain in my arm right now is so much better than the voices in my head. And I, I... I couldn't do anything. I was just sat there in shock. And mm. yeah, I think but it's we, easier for people to feel physical pain than mental pain. Mental pain's too too difficult to. Because you'll always go to the GP with a broken arm. Yeah. But you won't go if you feel that your your mind is broken. Because mm. again, it's everything that we've said before. It's that that stigma, that association, and like, oh well, not right, are you? Because but self harming is also a way of taking control. Because uh, when people um, deal with mental illness, go through trauma, go through abuse, whatever is the cause, they feel that they have no control over their own life, their own thoughts, their own body. So they they actually uh, result into self-harming as to taking control back. It's my body. This is how I'm going to deal with it. Mm. Um, it is something that... Sadly, I have had to deal a lot with young men, as 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 unbelievable what it is. They do they do really step into self harming because they want to take back control. Mm. Anorexia is the same. That's having yeah. control of your body yes. weight, and when you're losing control of your life, that's one that you can control, and it's yourself, mm. your body. Yeah, and I think that's what's quite interesting about um, with when it comes to drugs and alcohol, it's because people, they want that instant gratification that they can suppress their emotions, but also some people take them to almost keep up with society, with the pressures, with what's expected from them. So people are taking these drugs and alcohol for different reasons, either to feel maybe a bit more numb or maybe to feel more alive, to feel like they're up to date. But then it just becomes a cycle because then when you go to the doctors, you'll get your dual diagnosis. So they'll diagnose you for having ill mental health, for being addicted to some sort of drugs and alcohol, and it just kind of goes. 
And an interesting point is that a lot of the time in films and movies, the bad person is always portrayed as a psycho. Um, And so you always have this in the media you kind of have this perception of the bad person they're addicted to drugs and alcohol and you're like oh gosh what a mess not really like oh yeah. they probably mm. needed a bit of help there. look at the world of music yeah if that's not an example of the stigma and mm. and, and that oh well then I, mm. I don't know what is really yes <laughs> it hasn't changed over the years at all <laughs> the media really sensationalizes mental health and mm-hmm. alcohol and drugs oh, yeah. the reality is someone is not actually in the in an alley snorting something or you know I mean, some people do, but majority of the time, people do it in the comfort of their homes. Oh, they're just mm. sitting with their, you know, with their friends or their family, and they mm. do it, and it's 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 so common like that. But people think they have stereotypes of what it is, it makes it much more worse because then that's what people think mental health is that it links straight away to drugs and alcohol. That's mm. far from the truth, isn't it? But I think the same with like dissociative identity disorder. Um, you know, people, it's, it's portrayed on the media as somebody that always usually is a murderer and a killer, yeah. um, goes into another personality, has no knowledge of killing somebody. The the problem I have is I can also understand that not not so much labelling like with a like as a killer. But when you're trying to portray um, something like DID where the person changes personalities, it's really difficult for the uh, media to um, show that. So so they tend to glorify it all, you know, different colour hair changes, clothes, and it doesn't happen like that. Um, and it's about getting it right, but how can you always get it right? It's not. And so then what would you say are the dangers of alcohol and drug abuse? I mean, obviously the main ones would be your physical health. It mm-hmm. does impact you. Yeah. Also your mental health makes it even worse. Financial. Yeah. yeah. But also I think uh, a big danger is your friends and family mm-hmm. because um, your friends and family don't know how to cope with it. But, you know, uh, it's with more all addictions like gambling and stuff like that. You know, you can... See, there's not, they're not really sure what to do. There's not a lot of support out there. I think they may not feel like they have. There's a lot of support out there. It does impact your family to the point it pushes them away, and to the result that they don't want to deal with you anymore. And that is the worst thing that can happen because you're just pushing them to the corner. And you know the reality is they could die, and that's what it is with alcohol and drug abuse. I don't think it helps. We're a nation of binge drinkers. I don't think it helps. We're a nation of home drinkers. So it's quite easy to go under the radar. You can function for quite a level of drinking or drugs before somebody might actually pick up on that change of behaviour. I've worked in the past with a high-functioning alcoholic. And on the surface, you you would never know. And it was only when people started questioning a couple of tiny little things six months later that it all started to come together. But if it took his team six months to notice, mm. how long had it been going under and what damage had been going on with the family and the mm. friends and, and everything else? So our society doesn't set us up for a great start because mm. it's just a thing that we've just always done. It's just like I said, it just starts off with a drink. Yeah. Just having mm. a drink. What's wrong with having a drink? Because there isn't nothing, there's nothing wrong with having a drink. Yeah, it's legal. Having, yeah, I mean, I love yeah. having a drink. <laughs> but then it's just when it gets to the point where you wake up and the first thing you want to do is have a drink. Yeah, you know, then yeah. it's then it's something that you, needs to be thought about. And then you've lost that control that you were actually trying to get in the beginning. Yeah, and it just goes into yeah. a cycle. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. And how do we think this all kind of leads back to creativity, the use of drugs and alcohol? 
this whole idea that, like I said, people sometimes can't feel... I don't think people can grasp the fact that you can be vulnerable without being on drugs and stuff. So people assume that being creative is to be on drugs or mm. being alcohol because that way, you know, people tend to be more out there when they are on drugs or depending on the drug or when they are um, drinking, you know, people tend to be really, really confident. Mm. People tend to say what they are thinking. And um, so there's this assumption, I think, that, you know, when you are creative, you're most likely taking drugs and alcohol. Mm. because you're being more vulnerable you're expressing yourself you're expressing crazy not uh, crazy like you're expressing really like out there stuff which may not be necessarily normal yeah so basically again we come back to the social norm of what is creative mm. of yeah. what society makes us believe and understand as creative because I believe that there are a lot of people using this type of alcohol stimulants mm. to make themselves creative or creative at the at, at the social or the level that society want them to be creative so it's more or less you resort one way or another to drugs and alcohol like if you feel that uh, you're not creative enough, your 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 creativity is not understood, you're rejected, as I said, because you will receive a lot of that. Especially, in, it's not about, it's not about the talent, it's not about the creativity, it's just the society we're living in. Like, everyone have a social platform and, and, and they're like their own president <laughs> and like they're so, which is great, it's great for us to to have opinions, but it's just the times we're living, it's um, the evaluation, it's done different way. So, yes, more or less, I believe that very often they use the stimulants because who can really say what if you're creative enough? Yeah. It's very mm-hmm. unique and identical and, and personal. Yeah, there's no real definition of it. There is no real definition of it. And it's even like you're constantly trying to figure out your own definition and it kind of links back to what you were saying about the music industry almost. What is creativity and why is the use of drugs and alcohol so right within that? So we have to keep a model that has been placed out there for us, how to be creative. That's basically what they do in schools as well. They (laughs) They teach you how to be creative and then... If you don't follow their brief, then you haven't got that A, you haven't got that first if you're not following what their idea yeah, of creativity yeah. is. So, yeah, which is a vicious circle. And it's interesting, actually, within universities, within um, especially creative universities, I have noticed, actually, that the use of drugs is a lot more common and it's really worrying and it's very um, just the norm just yeah. to to come out and see someone not even in the corner like in the middle of the room <laughs> yes but yeah. you notice that it's quite because yeah. the one thing that it's really unique and resemble your identity if you're told that that thing is not good good and it's not okay you resort into taking drugs you resort into okay so what now yeah. especially in 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 fashion college like the one thing that it that is your unique and personal and, and it's only in you, only you can create that way. And somebody comes and tells you this is not good enough. It's it, it, I'm guessing it's a hard thing. Just a quick reminder, you're listening to the Fashion Vanguards podcast hosted by Alpha Mega London. Please subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on and give us a review. And if you would like to get in touch, please drop us a message at info at alphamegalondon.com. Enjoy the rest of the podcast.
And I think um, when you're talking about the fashion universities and stuff, mm. that most of them take drugs. And I think people just go there. Okay, I've got to take drugs now because that's the norm. <laughs> yeah, that, to, yeah. that, that's, that's what it is. There's also peer pressure, mm-hmm. you know, there's social pressure. Okay, I'm going to take drugs because X, Y, and Z are also taking drugs. And if that means that I'm going to be clicking with those people, then I'm going to have to do it, Yeah, which is really sad. Yeah. So it does kind of link back to why the younger people are falling victim and how that links back into the glamorization through media where you see these like, oh, I want to be... You know when you see a character in a film, you're like, oh, they're really cool. I kind of aspire to be like them. And sometimes their behaviour people perhaps then kind of copy and paste into their own lives. And it does appear that young people really are being influenced by that and like you were saying actually they just see someone doing drugs at uni yeah I mean, popular person just like, yeah let's just do the drugs like, and i can say that because i've witnessed people say that yeah yeah they're oh, like, you know not? yeah let me try it i'm thinking happen? are you like what because he's just said he's doing it you're gonna do it do and yeah. i know my mum says it if if he says you're gonna jump <laughs> off the cliff are you gonna jump off the cliff i'm like hell yeah i'm gonna jump in there diving <laughs> but um yeah and you know about the whole tv show like, okay, I don't know if you guys watch Killing Eve, but oh, I've yes. always wanted to be Villanelle. And oh, she kills yeah. people, but I'm not going to go kill people, am I? <laughs> like, and that's, so that's the criticism to it, is like, well, like, you're going to copy everything everyone does. Like, or oh, because he's taking drugs, you're taking mm. drugs. But then, you know, there's more to it. You know, young people are facing much more harsher mm. stuff than, you know, what older generations are facing. They're facing difficult things. And one thing that sometimes my parents say... What other people say, other in the older generation, saying, you know, when at my time it was so easy to do this or it was so hard to do this, this, and this. I'm thinking, yeah, okay, but you can't compare that to now because now this is a different generation now. Now it's difficult to go into uni. Now it's difficult to get a job. Now it's difficult to get a mortgage. You know, it's mm. different then. You can't compare it now. And um, young people have a lot of, like, they have to fit into the certain, like, brackets now. Yeah. And I think they're expected to do certain things now, and I think no wonder they do fall into taking maybe drugs or alcohol and or other sort of self medicating like procedures because it's like there's just they can't cope with what's they're expected of. Mm. Exactly what I was saying. There is a bridge between our generation and the younger generation. We do not understand them, and this is a problem. Mm. It is a problem if we cannot understand the reality of their life. We can't be helpful. So one side, they are facing, it's in a way war zone Mm. Uh, on social media at school. And then you have to come back home for your mom and dad to fight with you too because they do not understand the pressure of your lifestyle, Mm. even though you're just a student. And people Mm. think because you're young that you shouldn't be feeling pressure. You know, why are you so stressed? You're 13. You know, what's the most thing that's going to happen in your life? It's very stressful. (coughs) I, I had a 13-year-old at home, mm. and it is very stressful. Mm. Um, my son, it's, um, it's a very gentle person. Uh, he's not feminine, but, but he had a, a gentle heart. He's very compassionate. He does not like to laugh at people. He likes to help. He likes to... He, he's a, a brilliant gentleman. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> it's not because I raised him like this. <laughs> I'm just lucky. But my point is... That was not taken well in school that he will go and, and, and help to someone that they all bully. So he ended up being bullied just yeah. because of that. And I did not understand. So he will come home and I will be hard on his case. And it really opened my eyes to 
realize that the that the the time he's living it's not the time I grew up and it's a massive bridge yeah. if when there is that mi- misunderstanding and the one place that you should feel safe and comfortable should be home and should be mom and dad then mm. what do we do I also think uh, young people fall victim to taking alcohol and drugs or any other methods because they're bored Mm-hmm. And I genuinely think it's because they're bored. What's that, what else is there to do? Let's try something different. And maybe that's because they're not getting the adrenaline they get from social media if their phones are taken off them, or because going to the park isn't as fun anymore. Because I remember when I was young, that you know, going to the park was really like, oh, I want to go on that swing. Okay, I'm beat. I'm racing to get on that swing because I don't want to go on that slide. But um, I think that's that difference because. Yeah, I just think they must be bored. Like, I, obviously, there's other reasons to why people fall victim, but I think maybe that's... Possibly. <laughs> and so would you think that young people are being marginalised? I think so. Oh, yes. Definitely. Which is sad. Mm. Like I said, they're, they're expected to be this, this and this now, but they're so free. They're living in a progressive area now. You know, look, the, I'm 23, so I'd say I'm still young, but, but you know, you're talking, but I'm thinking of 15-year-olds, 14-year-olds, they're living in a society that is so progressive to how mm. I live, to how my parents live, to how my grandparents live. That they're, they're, they're supposed to be open, they're supposed to be doing this. Like I said, there's expectations now. Mm. And I think in a way, even though they have so much freedom, it still marginalises, so it still puts them in the in a bracket. And I, I'm not sure why that they might feel like that, but I don't know if you guys understand what I'm trying to say. It's that lack of understanding. <coughs> each each generation has that. Oh, they've had it so much easier, and that's great because we have moved on and we have all these technologies and everything else. But what's happening now is so so. This is the first generation that have grown up completely with technology in their life from birth, mm. and I'm 38 and I don't understand that. I went to uni and I didn't have a mobile phone and we drank, we didn't, there probably were people doing drugs, but it wasn't in my social circle, it was it was drinking yeah. because that was the high that we were looking for. But that's not enough now. Yeah, and I think what you were saying about like 15-year-olds and stuff, there is this pressure to know what you want to be. They're like, right, guys, A-levels, make sure you pick the A-levels that are yeah. going to lead to the correct, like the step up that you need for university or whatever. And it's like, does anyone ever really know? I tell my, I tell my cousin this. I'm like, if you had asked me if I wanted to do a master's in my, under, in my second year of uni, I'd be like, bye. Like, do you think <laughs> I want to be here? I did a master's. Yeah. If you, would I want to do something in cybercrime? I'd be like, am I crazy? Okay, mm. I love cybercrime now. Okay, like, I'm... I'm, I'm in the field yeah. okay um, would you ever do journalism I'm like do you think I even want to write after uni okay what's my job I'm a journalist like <laughs> there's this expectation especially with schools that you have to know your life ahead you need to know your sexual orientation you need to know your religion you need to know what your strong influence that's far from the truth some people don't realise what they are way until they're you know way until they're older and that's why I feel like they're falling victim because we're so progressive it's like they should know what they want now and because they can do what they want but here also the education system like in Bulgaria you do not uh, graduate from high school until you're 18 Mm. they graduated at 16 yeah like my son had his like proper girlfriend or crush experience at 16 and he was doing GCSEs guys it was war (laughs) it was war he was constantly on camp at his aunt's because I did not have you can't get them focused 16 their hormones are crazy and they have to know what they want to do with their lives. Yeah. Absolutely. They just want, want they want to meet girls and boys. That's all they care about at 16. That's true. 
It's true. I picked my degree by, f- here you go, flicking through a UCAS book. I went, that sounds all right. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know what I wanted to do at 17. Roulette. Pretty much. That mean. looks quite nice. And I w- we were the first year to pay fees. And the fees were like oh God. 500 quid. I was like, boom, I'm in. So thank you very much. <laughs> Have I used my degree? No. That's a lie. I'm using it now because I did uh, media studies and looking at social media, but not the social media that we now know. Was looking yeah, at uh, music magazines and things like that. So, but it's taken me <coughs> 17 years <laughs> to use my degree, well and done. I still haven't paid it off. Oh, of <laughs> and I didn't pay fees. So, do you know what? I mean? It's like all that pressure now with the added money on top of that. Of course, you're not going to escape. Whether that's drinks, drugs, gaming. You need something to get out of that craziness because there's so much on those young shoulders to figure out. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, the same with me. When I went to uni, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just ran into a room because it was raining and my hair was out. I was like, right, get indoors. And I ended up doing that course. Wow. (laughs) Oh, wow. If it wasn't raining, you'd be doing something completely else. (laughs) You probably would have been doing psychology. Yeah, who knows? I think it's quite interesting what you were saying, just how we're talking about, you know, you need to pick, this is what you need to do. And it kind of links back to what we were saying about creativity and how they kind of put it in a box for you. It's kind of like, they're like, right, there's five boxes, pick one, off you go. Um, And so there may be people take the drugs and alcohol either to deal with the pressures, to suppress it, or maybe because they're like, oh, I'm not fitting into what their vision of creativity Mm. is. So I need to take this to try and reach a different or have a different experience. In this episode, we focused on the fear of being stigmatised in relation to the suppression of emotions and the abuse of drugs and alcohol. Looking at the societal pressure from school years upwards, we identified that drugs and alcohol is often used for instant gratification, influenced by the glamorisation through media and other creative industries such as music. Please follow us at Alpha Omega London on Instagram, Facebook and Pinterest, where we'll be sharing superb artworks from a hand selection of artists within our network whose pieces depict their feelings on mental health. There you can see works from the incredibly talented Bobby Ray, Brendan Totten, Roa Al-Mansouri, Stephanie Mikado, Patrick Gerard and Clara Catvey. Thank you for tuning in and a huge thanks to all our wonderful panellists. Please remember to rate five stars and subscribe.